How's it going, folks? This is Captain Cam with Blackbird Guide Services, and I'll be your host for today's episode of Eastern Current. And today is an interesting one. I got a rare opportunity to fish with my cousin from Alabama who has never fished a day in his life. And he brought along a really good friend of his, Christian, who works for Douglas Outdoors, who are well known for their fly rods as well as their spin and casting rods. A little more so in the, in the freshwater world, uh, as far as their spin and casting rods are concerned, but their fly rods are definitely get used in saltwater quite a bit, and people are starting to gravitate a little more towards their spin and casting rods for saltwater as well. So he brought a bunch of those rods. They fished with them the whole time, and we did two days of sight fishing for redfish. And I thought while they're in town, I might as well have them hop on and do a podcast. We'll get some background on Douglas Outdoors and the rods that they make. And then we'll also get the perspective of someone who has never fished a day in his life on what it's like to sight fish for redfish and kind of his first impressions and his experience. So I hope you guys enjoy this one and we'll talk to you soon. If you're like us here at Eastern Current, your boat trailer takes a beating. That's why we want to tell you about Coastal Trailer Repair, located here in Wilmington, North Carolina. At Coastal Trailer Repair, they strive to bring quality work at a reasonable price, specializing in trailer hubs, springs, and all things electrical and wiring. If you have an issue with your trailer, look no further than Coastal Trailer Repair to get you back on the road. You can find their information in the podcast show notes. Christian, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Yeah, me too. So I had the pleasure to take Christian as well as my cousin Steve out fishing for the last couple of days um, the, at the end of January. So it's a great time of year to c- catch redfish, but it can also be really challenging just depending on the weather because they're so grouped up this time of year that if you don't have good sight fishing conditions, it can be a little tough for sure. Uh, but we had success, and um, I want to thank my cousin Steve for connecting us because this definitely wouldn't have ever happened if it hadn't been for for him. So I had an absolute blast with you guys, but I'd, I'd of course, love to get y'all's perspective on fishing because Christian, it being a, a really big bass fisherman himself and some saltwater fishing experience, this was his first time catching redfish. And then my cousin Steve's first time just fishing at all, (laughs) which was super fun to see and uh, very enjoyable. But Christian works for Douglas Rods. Where is it located? We're located in Phoenix, New York. Okay. So Douglas Outdoors, just a little bit about the company. We started on the fly side. We were a relatively unknown company. And then we started winning all these casting competitions, basically dethroning all the major brands on the fly side. Uh, and then the, the company got traction. And then in 2014, it we ventured out into the conventional market and started making bass rods. We're still, fly is still our biggest market, but we have a phenomenal array of very high performance and technique-specific bass rods and I am basically traveling all over the map trying to get the word out, putting them in people's hands, letting them fish with them, and letting them feel and see the difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our rods were developed for a variety of techniques. Like I said, not they're not only for bass. We have salmon and steelhead rods. We have a lot of crossover into the inshore world, as you mm-hmm. saw. I mean, yeah. some of these are perfect redfish rods. It was phenomenal to fish you know the baits that cam was giving me on some of these douglas rods and um yeah that's you know it's just it's been a a wild ride it was cool to put the rods in steve's hand you know steve has never fished before so to put a very balanced and light rod in a guy's hand is basically spoiling him right out of the gate (laughs) because that doesn't always happen (laughs) right Right. Yeah, he's going to go pick up a combination rod from the tackle shop and be like, what is this? <laughs> totally different experience. Right. Totally different experience. So, so cool. Steve, what was your um, what was your first impressions on, on fishing in the marsh? Uh, f- first impressions 
were that it was an incredibly beautiful place. Uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, it doesn't really get a lot of press, but the marshes were incredibly beautiful. Seeing all kinds of wildlife. Um, first day, we had great visibility in the water. Today was a bit muddier, but um, later in the day, um, we had a lot of success in that, in that one confluence area. Um, so I really enjoyed it. Um, I had z- literally, literally zero fishing experience <laughs> <laughs> at age 41 as someone who loves the outdoors, which is pretty, pretty bizarre, but, um, he's a herper. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a herper people. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just so people know, herping is the act of trying to find snakes. Yeah. It has nothing to do with herpes. <laughs> All right. Uh, although that's uh, <laughs> no, I, debatable. Yeah, I'm, I'm a weird guy. I, I'm, I'm good at, I'm very good at finding snakes and catching snakes. So that, that's just, uh, my thing. But, uh, <clears throat> I wanted to branch out a bit and, and, uh, see, try my hand uh, with two pros, uh, at, at finding fish. And, um, yeah, I caught three today. <laughs> um, as a total novice, who's not a particularly, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really skilled with my hands per se. Um, but the rod was extremely easy to, all of the rods were really easy to use, uh, lightweight. I wasn't get, getting them tangled all the time. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, after, you know, 10 or 20 casts, I was, at, I was, at, I felt like I was able to do it with a modicum of competence. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, of course with your help spotting and, you know, with you guys helping me out, um, I didn't feel like I was slowing you guys down no, not terribly. At all. No, you know? not at um, all. So no it felt, uh, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I didn't feel like a total idiot out there, you know. Well, um, this, yeah, I. that's good to hear from you, for sure. And um, I guess my next question would be, and this would be for both of you, was it what you expected as far as fishing for redfish is concerned? No. I thought they would be v- a totally different um, species. I, I had different expectations for what the species actually, uh, from what it actually is. Mm-hmm. I was actually very impressed with how alert they are and how easily they spook. I mean, that's the sign of intelligence in my mind. I mean, there's certain fish that you could sit there and make a bunch of noise. I mean, I've seen it even with largemouth bass. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, you know, they're not intelligent by any means, but you could sit on a spot sometimes and they can, you know, you can blow it with loud casts, not cast close to them, and they'll just be holed up on a spot for whatever reason, if it's an ambush point or if they're, you know, I'm not even talking about the spawn where they're guarding their nest, but they... <laughs> you know, they won't leave that territory for, for whatever reason, probably because it is such a good ambush point. And these redfish are just, if you don't put it in the right spot and if your approach is compromised in any way with noise or errant casts, um, you're done. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many times did we see weeks moving away from us to where they were always out of reach. Oh, yeah. And that's just, that's sometimes, a lot of times, just from the pole that I'm using, if it hits, it nicks an oyster on the bottom, and they hear that little popping sound, they're like, that doesn't sound natural. And so they'll all start moving, which is part of the game. I mean, I always explain to, or try, try and explain it to people as in, it's a lot more like hunting than it is like fishing in a lot of aspects because at least the sight fishing stuff, right? It's one thing to sit there and suck bait and just wait for them to swim by. But if you're constantly going after them and you're pulling the boat around, it becomes very much more like hunting and that you're trying to get in front of them, trying to get to them without them knowing that you're there, so on and so forth. Absolutely. And and just so everyone knows, we're we're using, you know, we're using a variety of baits, but we weren't using any cut bait or any dead yeah, bait. We're all, using all artificial. artificial lures. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I was a, a, approaching it from more of a bass fishing mentality. Like we're using, you know, ball head jigs with 
with paddle tails, which is a huge player. If I'm chasing like, for instance, like pelagic smallmouth in deep water and some of these larger lakes, that's a staple. That's mm-hmm. a staple of, of that. And even today catching them on the, the mega bass dark sleeper craw. I mean, that is a, that is a straight up bass bait <laughs> that is playing in, in salt water and they were enveloping it and, it stinks because the biggest fish probably of the day, I can't believe I, I just, I didn't get a, a great hook set and there was just slack line. It was a far cast, but that kind of speaks volumes to the fish. I saw this little wake in a, in an eddy in this tide pool and I knew if the boat moved, that fish was gone. It would have been gone. Mm-hmm. So I made this long, long cast. And honestly, here's another thing like that, that dark sleeper, I would never throw that bait on a spinning rod ever uh-huh. i would throw that on a casting rig and a, and, a, and a stout casting rig because it's a jig hook and it's semi weedless mm-hmm. and i want to be able to really pop that bait through the top of the fish's mouth and have maximum hook penetration and allow the backbone of a casting rod which i think is i i always equate you know are spinning to more finesse techniques. I know that's not the same in salt water, obviously. You know, you can you put 6,000 size reels on some of these big, you know, meat stick spinning rods. But for me, my reaction is tied into, my reaction time for a hook set is for a big hook set to like, you know, really kind of drive a hook point home on some of these larger fish with that type of bait is more programmed to a casting rod. So it was interesting to bomb cast this dark sleeper craw and get it right in front of this fish, pop it twice, have the fish absolutely envelop it. But like actually, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a huge there wasn't a huge bite, you know, like Massive bite. It was strike. Right. Yeah, it, was. it was more of a slurp job. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I felt it and I, I got it, but I knew it was gonna be tough with that particular rig Mm -hmm. and not having the casting rod and the stouter, you know, backbone to just pop that home right off the bat and then ride it out. And I ended up losing that fish. And that was probably just from how it was pulling. I would say that would have been the biggest fish of the trip without a doubt. Yeah. So, so, so that's interesting. Just enough for you to come back. (laughs) Yo, no, I'm, I'm, this is, and I was saying to Cam, like, you know, I'm going around and my, my style fishing is not, I, I, I'm more, I'm an obsessed bass fisherman, but I'm a swim bait fisherman. And like, I love throwing big baits. I love power fishing. I love punching. I love frogging, you know, going in the slop. I really love the stalking, you know, really enticing the fish to hit the bait Mm -hmm. and, not really like a bottom finesse guy. I mean, there's an art in that too, and I'll do it and I'll catch fish on it. But really, I like to mimic a uh, mimic bait and try to induce a predatory response, like a genetic predatory mm-hmm. response. And I think in this redfish world, I would love to see more casting rods used because, like, even when Cam in the beginning of today, we were going through. I guess, what would you call that? The marshes, the grass flats? Yeah, where they mar- sun just the marsh, yeah. Okay, so th- those are like grass flats with bass. Like it's mm-hmm. almost like a punching scenario where you're going and you're seeing all of this cover. And I was flipping, you know, just basic- with a bait caster, like flipping and throwing these short casts, throwing skip casts under, you know. Um, yeah, I know, you know what you mean. Vegetation. Yeah, so, so I, I misunderstood. So that was like a flooded grass area flooded grass area so so yeah. a lot of vegetation coming up but that yep. that same scenario happens in bass fishing all the time so i think that there is definitely you know obviously using some of these baits that cam uses like i we had on uh like a, a ball head jig jig head with a a z a z man some type of elastic paddle tail i don't even mm-hmm. know what it was but that i could see and I was throwing it, throwing that on a casting rod, but that was really, it was really a, a moderate fast tip casting rod. Like that was designed for lipless crankbaits. It would have worked if I hooked up with a fish on it, but it wasn't optimal. But I think that, you know, Cam, even Cam has said, I, I've not really explored casting 
rods in this scenario, I think they could be a massive player here mm-hmm. to where you're, you know, ex- with all the pressure that I saw today and all the guys throwing similar techniques, you know, stuff that's proven for these redfish, I think thinking outside of the box and, you know, staying one step ahead of the curve and bringing in some of these, like, more casting real oriented techniques like even that sleeper crawl like i said mm-hmm. that would have normally been thrown on on a, a casting, casting reel. i think you could absolutely do damage because these fish are smart once they get caught on on a bait once they remember that when you get a hook through you you're not you know you're not forgetting that and i see that with i saw that today with redfish and i see that with bat largemouth bass i mean with bass in general striped bass even mm-hmm. you got one shot so you you really have to think ahead of the curve, and there's so much fishing pressure out there. Like even today, we saw four boats on one in one bay because the school was there. And if Cam didn't know these waters like the back of his hand, and we didn't, you know weren't able to go into this little back channel and and find the fish, we would have been we would would have been done. I mean, so so you really have to you have to think like a. I mean, you have to be a hunter. You have to think one step ahead of these fish. Mm-hmm. Show them stuff they haven't seen. Like Cam said, they oh, these fish love creature baits. Like just him telling me that, I would have brought the next time I come out. I'll bring, you know, I'll bring maybe like a man bear pig, like a <laughs> reaction bait. Is that an actual bait? Yeah, yeah. It's a. It's. <laughs> have you ever heard of a brush hog? You know what a brush hog is? No. Okay, so it's got. Like, I'm so. Um novice when it comes to freshwater bass fishing like the what i know in bass fishing is like throwing topwaters and worms right but 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 that okay so this is like a it's like a, a brush hog which means it's got this like it's almost like a water bug looking thing but it could mimic anything it's got like a, a body like this okay mm-hmm. so it has like a cylindrical body and then it's got like arms up close to the head that are like attached so they could be some type of fin maybe I, you know what i think i've been throwing those and two tails two yep. tails I, I have some in the garage whenever when you when we walk downstairs i'm gonna show them to you right i don't even they're just creature baits they're creature that i picked baits. up that i was like those look like their work they've worked amazing right and that for me a lot of guys kind of there's so many techniques that guys like think that it's hot for one year and then they forget about. Mm-hmm. I've put in, depending on what jig head you throw that on, I'm not going to give that away right here, but depending on what jig head you throw that on, that could be lethal. And I could see, I would come here with an army of creature baits if we're going to jig the bottom the next time. Mm-hmm. And and some other swim baits too. I mean, I I think I could catch these things on a real small, on a small, like a six inch glide bait because yeah. they've never seen it. Yep. There's no way these guys are throwing that here, you know. No, no, and it's interesting the the um, the casting rods. I feel like are big in Louisiana, in Mississippi for whatever reason, and just in North Carolina specifically. A lot of people, I'm sure there, there there's plenty of people that use them for redfish, but it is not very popular for every, whatever reason. Every other fisherman today, I was looking specifically at that. Every single one, except for one, the guy we saw in that grass flat when we, in the beginning, mm-hmm. that flooded grass area, mm-hmm. he was throwing an old ambassador, Abu Garcia, which was bizarre. Like he was throwing a round reel, right? From like it was it was old, you know. But yeah. he was, the, and that <laughs> I just couldn't believe he was throwing that. But every other boat that we saw, all spinning rods, spinning, spinning, spinning. The, yep. the thing with the casting rod, though, you can be. A hundred percent more accurate. They're designed for accuracy, and mm-hmm. for this fish, where a pinpoint cast really matters. The thing is, with a spinning rod, it gets caught up in the wind more. I think because you're using, you know, you're using real light line, right, real light braid. Like, mm-hmm. I think with a casting rod, just because of the nature of how the line comes off the reel, it's not spinning in a cylindrical, mm-hmm. like egg beater fashion. It's coming directly off the reel going through the guides and wherever that rod tip is pointing, that thing is shooting. Yeah. And I think you can be more accurate with it. And I think some of these baits you can launch further. And I think that really would help with um, hookup ratios and just, just getting, just getting bit, mm-hmm. just getting bit and not spook. Oh my God. Spooking these, these fish 
I just looking down and seeing these muds can, everywhere. Can calls them <laughs> muds, which is which is cool because that's what they are. They're just that's how elusive these these things are. Would we see one redfish swim past the boat? I mean, yeah, we had so only visualized one myself today. Right. Yeah. I mean, we had right next to the boat. Yeah. We had really really muddy. Being on the water day in and day out throughout the season, our boats take a beating. Whether we need fiberglass work, new non-skid, hole painting, rigging, and electrical, or full-blown custom restoration, Brock Boatworks has you covered. Specializing in high-end skiffs, bay boats, and center consoles, their attention to detail and customer service ensures that you have the work done right the first time so you don't have to get it done again. You can find their information in the podcast show notes. So the first day, it was extremely foggy, like the foggiest I've seen it in probably three years. And so we were finding a lot of fish the first day just by them waking, uh, which is doable, but it's not ideal because if they're already waking, they've probably already seen you or something has spooked them and they're already moving. Instead of seeing them winking or flashing in the distance or actually seeing the shadows in the distance, that's obviously the most ideal scenario. And then today, the water was just completely muddy to the point where it was probably 10 inches of visibility into the water, probably. Mm -hmm. And we finally found some clear water in the end. But even then, uh, the, the place that we found with a lot of clear water is where all the boats were, so we left. And then we went back to essentially just casting at wakes, mm -hmm. which is... You know, that's what you got to do and not great visibility conditions. So going back to, though, uh, first impressions are, are kind of what you expected. Steve, being a completely novice fisherman and, and having, you know, done this before, was it what you expected? I uh, One thing that I learned... Um, that I underestimated and did not expect um, was just how um, these fish r respond to pressure and how they adapt so rapidly. Mm -hmm. the, I really underestimated their intelligence, frankly. And the 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 line that from the weekend that that was memorable memorable to me was that you said, um, "If I know anything about fishing, it's that these fe these fish respond to pressure." Yeah, one hundred percent. I. I, that was not an expectation that I had whatsoever. Um, I really underestimated their, um, their intelligence. Um, so I guess that speaks to, to the notion of thinking outside the box, using techniques, um, like really ad adapting your style and, and understanding that if all the fishermen in the area are using the same techniques, then yeah, the fish are right. going to figure it out. Um, I agree. So it's it's probably it is almost certainly worthwhile to to mix up your arsenal and mm -hmm. and try out something new. So that I you know that was that was really interesting to me. That was an insight that I did not expect. Christian, you'll like this. So of uh, a, a friend of mine, we've been using walk the dog topwaters forever. Rapala skitter walks, mirror lures, what have you. Um, but when I when we started guiding it's not the easiest thing in the world to learn how to walk the dog with a topwater lure it's it's the way i always explain it is just like rubbing your belly and patting your head it's um, exactly right and so someone recommended to me that you should use a wake bait i can't believe you said that because i almost i was going to show you in the car i was like yeah. hey i think this i have a black dog <laughs> blackbird black dog baits G2 shell cracker in the car. Mm -hmm. I think it would be lethal. Yeah. Lethal. I and mean, these fish have never seen it. And walk the dog is only, it only comes into play certain times of the year. Whereas a wake bait can be lethal 365 days out of the year because it moves so slow. It's, it's like, again, eliciting that genetic response mm -hmm. to just destroying something that is injured. And I think the wake bait does a way better job of imitating that walk. The dog is good for again, putting them in a trance when they're ready to eat like that, but you know, causing a disturbance, a lot of noise, 
a lot of movement. But remember, that fish has to always hunt and search. It's mm-hmm. looking at a bait that's moving back and forth. It doesn't really know when to strike. It can confuse them more times than not if you're not on the right cadence, which I can guarantee you right now that if there's guys that you're bringing out or, you know, anyone, guys, girls, whatever, that you're bringing out in your boat for the first or second time, they, they're not getting – they'll get maybe the right cadence by luck one in a million times. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't get the right cadence. We tried that today and threw it in situations where I thought – could produce a bite with that bait we saw i mean giant wakes and i threw right on top of it mm-hmm. i tried slow fast erratic now i was gonna even say i think that a finesse frog in open water a jackal kaara <laughs> yeah. on straight braid yeah. a white jackal kaara just after looking at your bait fish mm-hmm. it's a specific frog uh, it's a I'll, I'll show it to you downstairs. Too. Yeah, you're gonna have to show me because I, I think they would wreck it because <laughs> I it, because I you, don't doubt it's it. a walk the dog thing too, but it has a little erratic movement where it will mimic those little wh- wh- whatever those bait fish were that we saw yeah. at the end that were skittering off. Yep. This is just there's no way anyone has thrown this for these fish. I'd I'd, I'd be surprised if they had. You you can't throw a full size frog though. You have to throw this this particular frog because of the way that these red drum the way that their mouth is positioned. Mm-hmm. I just don't think you're going to get a hookup mm-hmm. unless you throw this particular frog. <laughs> well, so specific, but I'll uh, definitely give it a try. I, I and I think that's one that you got to learn how to throw in a bait caster. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent on straight braid. <sighs> a lot of bird nests in my future. I no, think. you just got to get the right, the right bait caster. The one with the computer chip in it. That That's right. <laughs> eliminates. Sh- no, seriously. It eliminates the possibility of yes. uh, bird nesting. Yes. How much are those, by the way? You can get a, honestly, you can get a Shimano, a DC, okay? Uh-huh. Shimano um, uh, SLX is their entry one there. SLX DC. It's like 130 bucks. It's nothing. Yeah, it's not that bad. No, it's nothing for that for that technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if it's sealed for saltwater, but I I mean, you might get one season out of it. Like that's that that's the part that that's worth it to try it out though. But that would be the easiest for you to pick up for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm so bad at them. Every time I've ever used a baitcaster in in my past, I've almost immediately bird nested it. It's hard, and, and there's a lot of wind out here. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, that's very true. Like if you're throwing into the wind on a baitcaster, and you're not using your thumb is your is your break though. Mm-hmm. It's gonna take. I mean, I was I was bird nesting a little bit today on a reel that I've never used before that we just got as a demo reel. I'm not gonna name what it was, but I think the the lure was a little bit light, and I was really you know when when a lure is lighter on a baitcaster, I just tend to use my thumb and roll off the brake so so you can really just hang the bait and, and have it free spool. Mm-hmm. That's the only way you're going to cast a light lure like that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just think that there's a whole world here to explore. And if it's going to be this pressured and this populated, if you're not thinking outside the box and if you're not showing these things bait that they've never seen before in a consistent rotation, I just don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be really tough. Oh, yeah. I mean, it already is tough. I know. I see the competition you have, and it's just brutal. Yeah. It's brutal, man. (laughs) How does it compare to the the bass fishing? It's the same. Pressure. It's so bad. Slash competition. Like you said, since COVID, every single place gets hammered. I I have not seen, this is a real shame, but the fish are just so pressured. I have... It's rare for me to catch a fish that I can't see, you know, it's been caught two or three times before. It's got, you know, uh, like a giant sore in the side of its mouth from a hook being just ripped through it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, now you have so many new anglers that don't really know proper fish care. Mm-hmm. And and they're just maybe maybe they leave. I can't tell you how many times in the past three years since the pandemic that I've pulled soft plastics out of the gullets of these fish. Really? Yeah, people will just like, you know, they'll they'll hang it up or or they'll they'll break off. They're not using the right the whole. Th- you know that line is a system. Like mm-hmm. we're both fishing braid to leader with an FG knot for most applications. Mm-hmm. You know, some of these 
people are just going to Dick's Sporting Goods and they're like, hey, what's a cheap rod that I can try this out? And I'm sure they're spooling it up with some, not, you know, I'm not uh, generalizing here, but I'm sure some of them are spooling it up with real light mono or real mm-hmm. light fluoro. And these guys are, or not guys, just any f- angler is breaking off and or just doesn't know how to fight these fish and it's just or or even taking the fish off the hook or leaving a hook in gut hooking it not mm-hmm. knowing when to set the hook which mm-hmm. is also you know that's a an experience thing if you let them slurp it down <laughs> i mean they're For too long they're right. putting that in their gullet yeah no you doubt. know so i i have seen um I think it's really hard to catch fish right now. Pretty much every technique and every place that I went over the past four years, I cannot go to the same spot and catch the same fish. Mm-hmm. I've tried, and it just does not work. Yeah, the one thing I've noticed <clears throat> from our, like, as far as fishing pressure is concerned, is probably the past three years, and I I, I could see someone messaging me and being like, uh, we, I was on a school for three months or six months, but that might be the case. But at least the, the, a lot of the schools that I have been fishing the last three years that have historically been in the same places or close to the same places have very much been there for at least two months. Now it's like maybe two weeks. Wow. Well, I guess you don't go from being four pounds to 40 pounds. <laughs> yeah, right. From an evolutionary perspective, 100%. Unless you adapt to the stimulus. Yeah. And, I mean, (laughs) you're surviving out there. Uh, You better be learning. Yeah. So they are obviously learning. I I just really underestimated that. Yeah. It's kind of wild to think about. But you're you're 100% right. Their goal is to survive. Add more predators. What are they going to do? They're going to get harder to find. So it's pretty interesting. I was trying to briefly look up uh, the, the term for the anatomic structure of uh, the, the rows of three teeth in, the, in their pharynx. The, cr- the crushers. The crushers for the crustaceans. Yeah. That, uh, I took a pretty good picture of it, but uh, I'll have to figure out what that's called. That was f- I, I also <laughs> didn't know that. that was it is really, pretty fascinating. Really fascinating, yeah. Yeah, when you get um, a big one, too, and you can really open up their mouth and see it, you're like, man, yeah. I don't want to stick my finger in that thing. <laughs> yeah, that's how they, I mean, they can probably eat crabs like that. The, yeah, the 100%. Yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you even see that in the bass world. You can tell which ones have been their main forage is crayfish as opposed yeah. to bait fish because they're not only will their teeth, which is for bass, it's like sandpaper. Mm-hmm. It'll be different. If that's, you know, if that's for, uh, if they're eating crayfish, that'll be, gra- it's like ground down because they're yeah. crushing through so many shells, you yeah. know? And like you said, in the back, that's where it really comes into play. Uh, but if they're eating bait fish, those will be, they'll tend to be more pronounced so they can actually ensnare the, you know, a, a bait fish. It's really interesting. It's, it's crazy, man. Apex predators. So, do redfish? Uh, what's their camo like? Do they can they change depending on their surroundings? Like, yes. like a bass. Okay. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So if you if you catch a fish that lives in the river, in the water is much more tannic or brown. Mm-hmm. Those fish will be a l- very much more brown wow. than. It looks like a, your stereotypical redfish. If you catch one in really clear water, like kind of some of the fish that we caught the first day, yes, much more silver, right? Because the water's clear. And I noticed they have a more pronounced top from bottom. Like the top is like that right. gray. It's almost like a great white shark. Yeah, the way that they're set. And up. then the the most silver fish that you can catch, or you know, the lightest color redfish you can catch, are, are the ones that are in the surf. So right off the beach. No way. Yeah, and those are like very silver. Because they have to blend in with the sand there. Yeah. I just, I, you know, it's a good question because I don't know exactly what determines their color other than water clarity. Is it something that they're eating in those areas that determines their color or is it purely the 
kind of environment in the in the water clarity i think it's definitely both like like you said that blue in the tail on the juveniles is definitely from the shrimp yeah but i think from a predation standpoint they have to if they're going to advance they have to blend in with their surroundings Mm -hmm. here's here's another question for you have you ever caught the same redfish twice that you've been Uh, able to identify I have. So, and what's it, the identifier? Is it the spot? The spots. Okay. Yeah, cause th- this one it was a a big redfish, so mm-hmm. probably thirty pounds. Wow. Um, and it was caught, uh, essentially off the beach. Wow. Two weeks later, caught the exact same fish. Same spot. Same spots. Okay. And in the same spot and the same spots on his tail. That's happened to me with. Three sets of huge largemouth bass, like around the seven pound, you know, yeah. mark. Yeah. I've done that in three different lakes. I've caught the same fish. One fish I caught three times in three consecutive years <laughs> in a similar spot. And the way that you identify that is from the spots on their lateral lines. Really? So you can see it. It's obvious, like very obvious. Um, and some will have like a spot, an identifying spot somewhere else on their body, but the lateral line. That's like a fingerprint to them. No That's two fish wild. have the same lateral spots there. That is wild. But it is crazy. I feel, feel like those bigger fish, they have their ambush points, and they know where they're successful, and mm-hmm. they know what type of fish they like to eat. Because this one particular fish, every time I caught it, it was on a giant trout imitator, like a 10-inch bait that looked like <laughs> oh a trout. And it just came up and enveloped it enveloped it one was like a paddle like a big oversized paddle tail one was a glide bait no one was like a was a wake bait it was an ms a nine inch ms slammer but i was cranking it down like an erratic trout some of them with the lip will allow you to crank down Mm -hmm. which is another good reason for you to throw the wake bait yeah because you can you can attack all areas of the water column with that and then the last time I don't know. It was something like that. Maybe it was two giant paddle tails. But the point is, they all imitate it. These these bigger fish take less risks, but they try to eat bigger prey so they don't expend yeah. as much energy. More calories. Right. That's why yep. they stay big. Mm-hmm. You know? That's right. So that's cool that the redfish have that too. So what did you catch that one on? This was cut This was cut, cut, bait. cut bait. Yeah, right. it was in really deep water or deeper water. And... Um, it's it you know it's a well known spot to catch bigger fish and it's a certain time of year, and caught him. You know I, I could tell he already had a very unique tail spot. It was essentially a bullseye. It was one big <laughs> dot and then nothing and then a little dot in the middle. Wow. Uh, and yeah, caught him. I think it was two weeks later. Both cup eight. Both cup eight. That's incredible. Yep. And then I bet you that that's for a fish like that. That's the only thing, like you said, with that black drum, mm-hmm. like you said, it's hard to catch them on artificials artificial. down here. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the only thing that particular fish will take a risk on. Yeah. Because I mean, it's maybe. smart enough to know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I've caught, you know, you can catch them on artificial for sure, but it's mainly like gulp, like right. something that's scented. Um, it's, it's extremely hard to catch them on fly. Like, I have thrown crab patterns that essentially look exactly like a crab. You could not make a fly look more like a crab, and they won't touch it. At least the places that I've fished. How territorial are they? The ones that you're catching twice? Um, Uh, I don't know if they're very territorial, but they are creatures of habit. So they're catching them in the same, I don't know, 200 meter radius. Yeah. Like, or is this, yeah. The the one, the the big one that I caught twice? Yeah. It was, like, the exact same spot. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Me too. And how far, temporally, how, how, how far apart? Like, the next day or the next week? I think or? it was two weeks. Okay. Two weeks okay. apart. Wow. I had one like that that was two weeks apart, too. I caught it in a different lake now. But, and this is interesting, because the first time I caught it was, this it was, I think, mid-February, and it was, like, 30... It was like 36 degrees, and I caught it on a glide bait, but almost fishing it like a jerk bait where it was real erratic and then mm-hmm. killing it, and it was going. And I, I'm sure that fish had never seen It was a big shad imitator. I'm sure it was just looking for one meal because it was the winter, but it w- 
it wasn't moving slow. It went ballistic and it chased it down. It was a crazy <laughs> eat, like That's in the awesome. middle of winter. And then, and, and at that point it was dark. It was super dark and then light on the bottom. And then two weeks later I came back and I caught it on the, this was a very small, very small, like, like I won't even call it a lake, maybe like a pond. So I knew that this thing roamed all over right. this pond. Like, yeah. But but two weeks later, I caught it in the front part by like a a, a runoff, like a uh, like a drain, mm-hmm. skipping a paddle tail under a tree line, like a bi- another big bait though, like a six or seven inch paddle tail, and this thing came up from under and enveloped it and destroyed it again. But it, it was completely different. Now it was light, so it like you could tell it was interesting living in this one zone of the lake two weeks later when it got 10 degrees warmer it moved to a different to this other zone right. and looked completely different that's why the only reason i knew was from the lateral lines i was like this looks like and it was an ugly f- it will honestly look like a like a <laughs> drum it looked like yeah, a drum right. it like it was bizarre it had like a smaller mouth but it was bulbous <laughs> like just a bulbous fish it was crazy looking man <sighs> It didn't That's even wild. look like a largemouth bass. It literally looked like like a, a drum made it with a largemouth <laughs> or something. It was ugly. <laughs> Ones that are that large and that bulbous, um, do they develop symbioses with like remoras to help, you know, remove some of their parasites, or do they just rely on their flashing behavior to try to shake off some of their lice? You know. Uh, yeah, they will. Um, you'll get the really big ones. They'll have remoras on occasionally. Them. Wow! Yeah, they will have remoras on them. I mean, definitely not for largemouth, but striper maybe. Right? I, I would striper? think so. I, would I, think I don't so. know enough about striper. That's not my ball game, but yeah. I don't really either. I've 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 never caught in a really really big striper. Only the only the um yeah, what do they call them schoolies? Yeah, me too. Do you do you get them down here? Like the, the big, big stripers? No, but they will come. It's. The main place to catch them now is the Chesapeake. Right. They're um, in, like, Virginia and that mm-hmm. area. And they, we used to have a really good run of them off the off the coast of, like, Hatteras and um, some places in the Outer Banks, but I think that has since kind of fallen to the wayside. Talk about a fish that gets absolutely decimated and abused. It's that. Yeah. Oh it it gets, like, poached. I mean, people take – unfortunately, people – just for sustenance, like people will come fish illegally, post up and bring garbage bags. Actually, it's not for just for sustenance. They'll sell them on the black market. Like actually, for, yeah, by me definitely. Like in the Jersey and New York area, they'll sit there with garbage bags and fill fill it with striper, thirty striper. Like and the ones that you're not supposed to keep. Like they're very stringent on what you can keep now, and even in mm-hmm. in Virginia off. You can't you can't keep them right now. You can't even keep the fish. It's all catch and catch and release. I think in the Potomac they allow you to keep three right now, but they're so decimated. The population is so decimated down there, and it's been so heavily fished that they have. I I don't know when the season is. This is just coming from one of our pros. He's mm-hmm. filling me in on this because he he goes for this for striper, but he said it's so bad you. you only in the only fish the Potomac because he actually likes to eat them. He will take two and you know mm-hmm. eat them and have them for a year. But you know when there's this demand for them on the black market, you have people that are trying. You know they're either they're trying to monopolize or they're trying to to survive. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And they're going to bend the rule. Like one of our other guys, uh, our our guides who fish. Guides for Striper is also on the, um, he's like on the, not Coast Guard, but he works for, he's like a police officer on a boat, basically, that does the same patrol. No, because it's police department, but he's on a boat. So he's working in tandem with the Coast Guard. But he said. Marine Patrol. Marine. Okay. Is that Merchant Marine? Uh, Maybe. maybe, Okay. Yeah, Yeah. Marine Patrol. Okay. So he said he caught one of those guys that was had fallen off the rocks where he was fishing, and he, he was o- almost drowned. They got him, and they found, you know, his stuff. And he said he had, like, 60 fish in, 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 in these bags. <laughs> oh and he just God. fell in because he was in a risky spot, and the tide came up and caught him off guard. And yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, they'll they'll bank it, it when they come in. They'll be there for like a week. So some of these guys will stay there for a week. Still, that's a lot for one person. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. Overfishing is occurring. <laughs> um, who are the who are the main predators for redfish? Like we saw a bald eagle today. Have you ever seen an eagle take them? They would take the some of the small ones, like the little Those puppy drum. Them. Some of the puppy drum that we caught, they would eat those for and sure. Sharks that you sharks there are a lot of sharks in the marshes. No, well, uh, not so much in our marshes. Like they're not really getting up in like the skinny water where a lot of those redfish are living. Although they will, it's just that you don't see them very often. But sharks are definitely a predator. Dolphin. But dolphin are probably wow. the main predator. Wow. Yeah. Wow. They'll they'll like because dolphins are not afraid to go shallow, and they will corral a school a school of redfish and just <laughs> absolutely rip them up the dolphins we saw were thick too <laughs> they were eating good they were doing better fishing than we were hey, uh, you yeah if only we had echolocation dude then there would be no fish <laughs> well forward-facing sonar yeah, has right. made its way into the bass world and that i was telling cam you know it's just such a pleasure to come down here and not rely on any of that because i I'm not knocking that. That is a skill level because you still have to interpret a graph, and that is what tournament fishing is, but that is not what I enjoy. I do not, I, again, not knocking it. I respect it, but it's I never want to do use it. your senses, isn't it? To just observe and, like... For uh, me, for me like, it is. For yeah. the whole time. You're, you're paying attention. You're locked into the environment the whole time. I, I completely agree with you. I Again, I'm not knocking it either. Um, I'm sure there's some people that absolutely love it, but it is not... Definitely not my cup of tea. I like I like seeing what with my eyes and looking at the water instead of a instead of a screen. Here is why these guys use it. Here here is why they're using it right now. They have three days of pre fishing and then they have to go fish a tournament on a lake that they may have never fished. Mm-hmm. So you have limited time like how long did oh, it take yeah. you how long 100%. did it take you to figure out this all these spots that you've come to know? <laughs> 30 years? Right. Well, there you go. So these guys have to figure out a, a giant body of water sometimes. In f- Yeah, in four days. 100%. You, that makes sense. That right. makes so, all so, the sense. So that's why that, I, that, I mean, like, you know. It's I, a competitive advantage, especially in, in the term, tournament world. And when I saw, like, one of our pros, Kyle Patrick, young, young dude who won Lake of the Ozarks in the Elite Series, really very, very skilled fisherman, uh, very good competitive like just a bombastic personality. But I mean, just watching this kid fish, he never picked his head up from the graph, but he's so skilled at it that he figured out a lake that, you know, we just pulled up to this lake so we could go get some content. And it was the middle of January, which is not easy for largemouth bass. Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't catch any giants, but he was able to capitalize and rely on like, you know, the technique he's, I do respect him because he's not one of these guys that will go and he, he won't panic and try 50 techniques. If you can't find fish, mm-hmm. he'll be like, I have these five things on the boat that I know I'm really good at. And I'm just going to go use my gra- my, my forward facing sonar, my side imaging. And once I find those fish, I know I can catch them with one of these five mm-hmm. things. So, so that's totally different than what we said before. You got to, Think outside the box and do this and For that. Sure. I mean, this guy has his tried and true stuff. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's why fishing is crazy. But, but you know, when you're on, <laughs> there's so much money on the line. Like, what guiding is different. Guiding mm-hmm. is a little different. Obviously, there's money on the line. You you need clientele. You need to catch fish. But these guys are fishing. Tournament expenses are out of control. The the entry fees for these young dudes it's like. It's like forty k to fish nine tournaments or forty five k. Then you oh gotta go. God. You gotta go pay for gas. You gotta haul your stuff all over the place. You gotta try to get sponsors. Yeah, it's it's like a a crazy pyramid scheme, kind <laughs> of like I hate to say that, but it's just like it's not fair what they have to go through. I mean, other sports have a massive payoff, sure. and these guys are. Do these guys? They only get paid. If they, oh yeah, from tournaments. If they win, or if they have, if they're smart businessmen like this dude Kyle, and you hustle and you go get sponsors, 
that will maybe, you know, give you some money to, to alleviate the costs. Of, they probably pay for his entry fee, maybe. That's right. If you get enough sponsors, you get your entry fees paid for. I mean, I think he said his his expenses last year were well into the six figures. You know, so oh my gosh. So so I'm not gonna go into specifics with that, but I'm just saying look at what you you're lucky if you break even. Yeah. 100%. In this industry. Un- unless you're in yeah. you know, you're grandfathered in and you've won it's become on the bass fishing side, it's become, you know, all these companies like Pure Fishing owns all of these different companies. Yeah. All of these different companies have turned into like these conglomerates. So they're controlling fishing in a sense. And, you know, there's so much pressure to perform that that's where these this forward-facing sonar is put. Uh, the anglers are pressured. So in turn... The fish get pressured from this forward-facing sonar, <laughs> yeah. and you know they can hear that. They can they sense it, and yeah. then they move out to totally different water that they never be in. And a lot a lot of these fish now are pelagic, so you have to chase them with the sonar, <laughs> and then throw like a demiki rig right on their head, yeah, and and literally wiggle it back to the boat and hope that they they bite that. And I mean, it's it's like almost like Pac Man or something. It's yeah. it's crazy. It's video game fishing, but I just don't know how else in a tournament you're going to, you know, you could, like the stuff that I like to do, swim baiting, like with mm-hmm. big glide baits and fishing for one big bite. That that's not valid in a tournament. It might w- work in like one tournament in one situation at one time a year, but it's too inconsistent when you're trophy hunting. I mean, they're 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 looking for one you're looking for one big bite. Here you've got to actually get fish in the live well so you can weigh in. You're right. I mean, we thought we we could have skunked today easily, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. We to 100%. You can't do that or you can't get to the next stop on the tournament right. with the with what these guys are doing. Yeah. So it's just a shame that that's is you know, we have limited resources for fishing. There's only a finite body of, of water here that we're all now, you know, dabbling in. These fish are, they learn, as we saw, where are they going to be in five years? Where do you go then? What I've learned from the past is that they just, luckily these these redfish have to, well, they don't have to, but they much prefer to be where the bait is. And that and because bait is not really super pressured other than by stuff like redfish and other predators, that they're gonna move to where the bait is pretty much whenever they can. So it's a little bit different in the saltwater world, I would say, than right. than in the freshwater world. Um but that's not to say, I mean I mean, bait does get some pressure, but it's mainly just like they get cast netted here and there. I mean, even when I came, when I was in Virginia with another pros, Martin Villa, he was, you know, he had all these bait balls that were showing up on his, uh, on his graph mm-hmm. or on his sonar. And it was interesting because no fish were chasing. They just were not in an active feeding mood, you know? Mm-hmm. It's so crazy. Do you, do you experience like a bite window? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, it's, it's it's more so in the summer. Okay. I would say. Right. Is when it's like more pronounced. I think there's always a bite window, but there's definitely a more pronounced version of that in the summer, I would say. And I think that very much has to do with probably the heat. And water yes. temperature. Yes. Um, but like, I don't want to give it away completely, but there is a there is a certain tide when it's uh. pretty day in and day out. That's when it gets really active. Okay. And, it, and it's probably due to the presence of bait. Right. Because when you're dealing with tides, bait's getting pushed in. When it When it's high tide, they have a lot of places to hide. As That's you right. saw. That's right. Because they can yeah, go of course. way back up in the grass, and they do that just to get out of danger. To where we couldn't even access them. Right. Right. And then as that tide drops, that all that bait has to come out. That's right. I mean, there's been days where I've fished eight-hour days where I get nothing, and then 6 p.m. Until, 6 p.m. Right. rolls around and catch 20 fish. Yeah. yeah it's, it's bizarre. Very, it is really bizarre. Bizarre. 
Um, and they're 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 vicious during that hour, <laughs> but yeah. then it shuts off. Yeah, You're, it'll be from maybe not even an hour, six to six forty-five, and then you try the same thing. Maybe you get one more I'm, from six to eight. The, one of the craziest bite windows I know of is for um, there's a a place for stripers in North Carolina. It's on a river, and you can catch them all day, but you will never see them. Like, you can see them on your down scan or whatever, but you'll never see them. As soon as the sun gets very low, they are exploding on the water everywhere. Hmm. Like false albacore. So when you never see them, is it, is it are they buried in the mud? No, they, they're just like low in the water just column. Low, super low. Yeah, and just have no interest in coming up to the surface. Right. And so you'll throw it to, you could throw a topwater all day. And you might not ever get a bite until 6 p.m. So do redfish also, are they always hunting from below, looking up? No, no. So they're, they're, they're kind of bottom feeders. That's why they're, uh, that's why their mouth mouth is is on the bottom. bottom. So for them to eat a topwater is a little bit, not out of the ordinary. It's just not really how they were made to eat stuff. No, I can see it. That's why I was saying the thing about the finesse frog. Like, there's no chance you're catching yeah, them. Yeah, but they, but they, you know, one of their main, one of their main um, species that they eat is like finger mullet, mm-hmm. mud minnows, which or can skittering. swim. Yeah, skittering they can the swim top. anywhere in the water column, right? Um, but so, the, and that's probably why. Not that a lot of fish do this already but they almost miss a topwater usually at least once so they'll come up and smash try and smash your topwater they usually miss it the first time wow and then if you just keep walking at the same pace they'll come back and get it again right and that happens sometimes in bass fishing too. i'm sure yeah i mean it's just kind of as long as you don't set prematurely right that is the key that's the hardest thing to do because you have a visual cue yeah yeah, but you really have to until you feel the weight. Then you I, can it's let so them hard it. because you see the blow up, but you have to really feel the weight because if you're not, if you get a hook into them prematurely, they're gone. Like oh, if you yeah. don't connect, if you <laughs> don't connect, if you skin hook them, or if you partially, you know, if you set too quickly, you will not get a hook in them. You have to let them eat it. I've learned that from. I think there's a misconception in frog when you're frog fishing mm-hmm. that you've got to set immediately upon a blow up. That is a hundred percent not true. I have tested this for years and years and years. Everybody previously thought you had to use a meat stick to get them out of there, like an extra heavy rod. I don't believe that either. I think you need a rod with a really good tip section that's actually that's stout enough to have the backbone to pull them out of all of that thick stuff. If that's mm-hmm where you're fishing, but it also has to have a moderate taper to be able to let them eat that and then stay parabolic to keep them hooked up Yeah. when they have, when you have all that force and torque, and, you know, cause sometimes like what I'm talking about is you'll pull in, you know, I'm throwing frogs on 65 pound max quattro braid and you might be like, dude, that's crazy. Why would you ever do that? Well, max quattro, first of all, it's a four strand braid. So it has a line diameter of in another brand something that's 50 pounds or maybe even 40 pounds depending on what brand it is mm-hmm. you really want the the strength because you're pulling you're sometimes pulling up 20 pounds of slop along mm-hmm. with that bass because they're in the thick stuff mm-hmm. so you have to have weapons of bass destruction. <laughs> you know, you have to really think one step ahead. I'm not saying that that you're going to come across that with, with, with the redfish. Yeah, but no, that's... I, I actually have a lot of... We'll do this offline, but I do, I do have a lot of questions for you regarding braid okay. because I'm not... I've been using the same braid for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, I think part of me wants to try something new and part of me thinks that there's something better out there. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do that offline. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that that could be a whole another podcast. Um, yeah, it's tough. With that stuff is, uh, for me, it's always, and I, you know who has this figured out? The Japanese. They make the, they make just killer braid because they're all about strength to line diameter ratio. Mm. They have figured out weaves to where they'll, they'll do, 
you know, some of these, this braid where it was, you know, the Max Quattro is thinner because it's four count, but they have figured out ways to weave like 12 to 16. So like a, a 16 carrier braid, one guy showed me one and I was like blown out of the water. It was like the same diameter as six pound line. And I think it was, yeah, I think like, it was 35 pound. No way. Or, no like spider silk. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. No, seriously. I'm sure they might even be studying that <laughs> under a microscope and figuring out what kind of weave is going into that. But that goes into like a fishing rod too. Some of these rods have different layers of carbon wrapped a different way, mm -hmm. you know, X wrapping or some of these rods will have, um, you know, there's one brand, I'm not going to name the brand that, that, you know, I, I don't want to get into our trade secrets either, but there's certain brands that will wrap it this carbon fiber in different ways and different, you know, different materials. Sometimes it'll be graphite mixed with carbon fiber, mm -hmm. some type of composite, sometimes glass even, but the different ways that they're laid out on, uh, you're rolled out on the blank will produce different actions at different points in the rod. Like for instance, you might have, there's different loads that happen in a rod when you throw it out and cast it and it, and it lands on the ground and, or uh, on the bottom when it mm -hmm. lands on the bottom and you're, you know, you're moving just the tip and you're moving the bait on the bottom. That's a load on the rod, right? Mm -hmm. When the rod is, when a fish strikes that bait and it pulls on the rod or initially strikes and, you know, hits the bait, there's a different load on the rod. Mm -hmm. And then when the fish envelops the bait and swims off, that's an entirely different load on the rod. Casting is a different load on the rod. So some of these companies are so advanced that they have figured out way, you know, different ways to lay this material out to where they have a rod that can handle. It's so advanced that it has a different taper at a different point. For each of those situations. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. That's wild. That's, That's really where wild. we're at in fishing at this point. Yeah. Down about as granular as you can get. I mean, you can really get into the weeds, man. Yeah. Um, I think we've covered it, guys. Cool. You have anything else? Y'all have anything else to add? I was just asking myself the very fundamental question of why are redfish red? Um, we kind of talked about it earlier, but... I don't know. It might have something to do with the flamingo um, uh, explanation, you know, eating algaes that contain a lot of carotenoids, beta carotene. Um, if they're bottom feeders, perhaps they're eating brine shrimp or larvae that are eating a lot of algae that have mm -hmm. those reddish pigments. I don't know. That's just hypothesis <laughs> on their feeding behaviors. They're, they're not. It's super interesting. So I don't yeah, know. Why would they be red? Yeah. <laughs> I honestly don't know. Just they're just redfish to me, but I, that that is a really really interesting question that I probably will put into Google tonight <laughs> and probably spend about an hour reading about why it. Is the redfish red? <laughs> the fish that I've been hunting my whole life. Yeah. Why yeah. is it red? Uh, it's just I think just in the back of my mind, it's just like oh well, that's just genetically how they are. Right? Maybe that is it. The yeah. blue tail today on on that one juvenile was was really. Yeah, that, that yeah. Really cool. I've always heard that that's from, and this could be completely wrong. But I've always heard that that's from eating them. They're eating a lot of shrimp, and right. there's something in the shrimp that is pigmenting their tail that color. Well, isn't I mean, some of the aren't some of these crustaceans the blood is blue actually? Yeah, lobster, for, right? Well, for horseshoe crabs, horseshoe crabs, they yeah. have copper containing hemoglobin, um, so their blood is blue. So yeah, there you go. Maybe that. I mean that. That's it. Maybe. This might be the most scientific podcast <laughs> we've ever This done is on wild, the show. dude. We're done a rabbit We're going to have to have Steve on just to talk, just so he can spend like f four weeks researching all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be the most, he'll be the expert on fish color. Steve will definitely, he'll have the entire, the pathogenic disease yeah. si life cycle, sea lice. Like, yeah, right. Um, how, how they just so people are aware steve is is an infectious disease doctor so he's he's very into uh the research of this anything cool. really it's, it's, cool. it's really cool yeah it's super cool yeah, i recommend
recommend watching the new Planet Earth, which shows uh, garter snakes fishing. <laughs> oh my god! They hunt. They Here hunt fish very effectively <laughs> in Alaska. It's yeah. Check it out. Wow. That's awesome. That is really. We're cool. watching that tonight. Maybe. Uh, I would just like to say thank you so much to Cam for trying out Douglas Rods. You know, took me to Intracoastal Anglers, which was awesome too, and just getting us out in the water and just for being so knowledgeable and so passionate and positive because you don't always experience that with guides. So I would recommend. Yeah, you could have humiliated me the whole time, but you chose not to. <laughs> Thanks a lot. And I honestly. Uh, Thanks for being such a conservationist, man. Oh, very uh, much. Lo- thank you. You you're, you really care about the environment, um, and that's. Uh, I just want to say thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah. So anyone who's listening to this, definitely go out with Cam. Like he, <laughs> he not just a sales pitch, but like he's legit. Straight he's up, legit, man. He's legit. <laughs> you can ju- <laughs> listen to. Uh, a I'm sales blushing pitch. over here a little bit. <laughs> no, I'm serious though. Like uh, I can see the passion. Some guys. I wouldn't give that glowing recommendation to. I would just not say anything. I wouldn't go come on the podcast. Yeah. Well, little does everyone know, I had only had you guys on so you could compliment me at the end. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, y- y'all were absolute pleasure to be with, and thank you so much for taking the time to come down here and fish and also record this podcast. And I'm, uh, I'm sure, Christian, this won't be the last time we'll have you on this podcast. Um, and Steve, I can't wait for you to come back. Hopefully both of y'all together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you guys, I'm going to get you enrolled in the Python challenge. So <laughs> yes. Ready. I'm all in on the Python challenge. Well, I'm gonna, so what is it? Explain right before yeah, we end. Tell to. what the Python yeah, so challenge there's is. A, there's a true, uh, terrible problem with invasive Burmese pythons <laughs> in Everglades National Park. They They have literally decimated the small mammal population there they've reduced the small mammal population by 99 percent there are each each clutch uh that each snake gives birth to is like 60 eggs so since hurricane andrew in the 1990s they've grown at an unbelievably exponential rate they are devastating that everglades so uh actually governor ron desantis who i'm generally not a fan of but he uh he started this bounty hunting competition. It's uh, one week out of the year, and there's a big cash prize for the person who catches the most Burmese pythons. So and catching means catching and killing them. Yeah. yeah. So it. it's uh, yeah. It's, you uh, probably aren't catching a Burmese python, throwing it in your car, and bringing no, it back. No. To Some him. of the snakes are are almost twenty feet long. Yeah, They're I've enormous. seen Some pictures. Uh, of this. So I, I'm going this year. You guys are invited. <laughs> Steve has a giant cutout of Ron DeSantis. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, you don't want to make fun of Ron DeSantis on this on a fishing podcast. <laughs> I promise. Um, I know nothing about politics. Just me, FYI, me neither. Me neither. Um, but y'all, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking thank the you, time. Thank you, Cam. And we will uh, Thanks, we'll man. do it again soon. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>